Our Old Testament lesson this morning is Proverbs 12, verses 1 through 7. It should be found on page 520 in our Pew Bibles or 1001 in the large print. Before I read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and God, we do thank you for all that you have shown to us in creation and in our lives. But God, we thank you for what you have shown us in your word, speaking to us clearly about who you are and how it is that you work in and through the events of, uh, of history and the lives of your people. And God, we thank you for Jesus, the one who, um, who opens the eyes of the blind. Lord, we ask that this morning you would give us, um, give us understanding, that you would give us minds to know you and hearts to love you. God, that we would be those who are being changed into the people that you created us to be in relationship with you that begins now and goes on forever completely unstoppable because of your unstoppable love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 7 verses, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Good people obtain favor from the Lord, but he condemns those who devise wicked schemes. No one can be established through wickedness, but the righteous cannot be uprooted. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. The plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the speech of the upright rescues them. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous stands firm. And turning to John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. Last week we saw Mary Magdalene and Peter and John on Easter morning getting to the tomb and seeing the tomb is empty and each of them trying to figure out what this means. This morning we get to see what happens when, with one of them, Jesus shows up. John 20, verses 11 through 18. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know if any of you remember the original commercial, but there is still a commercial going that I believe started when I was in middle school. And it's the pink Energizer bunny. The sunglasses and the flip-flops and a big drum. We still don't know why. And my children, I have to explain to them why this rabbit is the, uh, is the symbol for Energizer, why it is that it's still going, and what that even means. Because the commercial has carried on and on, and apparently that one AA battery lasts for decades. <laughs> Maybe some false advertising there, I'm not sure. But, um, but I have to explain, the original commercial was there were a bunch of different toys. I don't know if you remember this. There were a bunch of different toys. And they were all running on different batteries. And then the uh, one by one, over time, one by one, they, the batteries would run out and the toy would fall over or just stop until finally there was only one left. And it was the energizer that was powering this toy bunny rabbit. And so then it would say, you know, still going, and it would move on. And it would seem like the commercial was done. And then you would have the following commercial was a fake commercial. And in the middle of this fake commercial for some other product, here would come this rabbit again, and the actors would all, what is going on? And then it would come on again, still going. And so on it would go. And then we still have that uh, today, decades later, same rabbit, still going. But now we've kind of forgotten (laughs) what it originally came from and that original ad and why it makes a difference that it's still going. I think that it would be really good if people today would go back and look at the Gospels and look at uh, particularly at you know, the resurrection of Jesus and then what comes after in Luke's second book in the book of Acts to see how it is that the church got started and why it is that it's still going today. And, uh, <clears throat> and if they did, maybe, just maybe, be a little less hostile about uh, trying to shut it down in the places where that is happening. I don't know for sure. But it would certainly be helpful for us as a part of the church to go back and look at why the church is still going, um, even in the midst of people who do try to shut it down from time to time and place to place. Why is it that it's still going? How is it still going? And what will happen with us? if we find ourselves in a similar situation. For this, we're looking at Acts chapter 5. Starting in verse 12, it is a uh, longer passage. We're looking at verses 12 all the way through 42. Um, As I read this, do not check out. This is um, not, I mean, this is is the word of God. But it is also uh, a really, fascinating and intriguing um, plot and everything that's going on with these characters and events. You don't want to miss this. 
And did I mention it's the word of God? Okay, we continue. Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 42. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night... An angel of the Lord appeared, uh, angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail, securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody. He and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him... Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. And they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, 
They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's kind of all got to go together, though. So we're going to tackle this all at once. This is where we start seeing kind of these unstoppable apostles, where they're just still going. I mean, this is, we saw already in chapter 4 that they were standing in Solomon's colonnade. This is where a man had been healed, and everybody gathers around them, and the leaders say, not so fast. (laughs) So they call him in, and they say, no more of this. No more. You have been warned. (laughs) They let him go. Well, now it's happening again, and did you notice where it's happening? The same place. The same part of the temple is where the apostles are now teaching and preaching the good news of Jesus. And more and more people are being added, and there are signs and wonders and miracles that this is something that is from God and not just people's good ideas. And so we see the religious leaders get jealous. Get, just get jealous, not because uh, they think that what the apostles are doing is wrong, it's just that it's, it's successful. They don't want somebody else being successful, not, especially not in the temple. So they've got to shut it down. And so they haul them in, uh, arrest them, and haul them into prison. And in prison, just when it seems like everything is bad, an angel comes and opens the doors, and they are freed from prison, but with another word. They have been ordered by the... Uh, by the Sanhedrin, by the, the, the assembly of the elders of Israel, stop teaching about Jesus. That's what they've been told. The angel who frees them from prison says, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. What are they going to do? <laughs> you have the apostles who have, I mean, the Sanhedrin has already shown they've got some got some political muscle. They can't, it's not just they can, they've got the warning to give, but they've got the power to enforce it. We said, don't teach about Jesus. You're teaching about Jesus, so we can throw you in prison. That's what we can do to you. But the apostles have just seen now, so what? You can throw us into prison. Anybody can do that. But God just brought us out of prison. Who does that? So now we have a choice. Having got out of prison, do we go cower and be afraid that we're going to, we might get arrested again? Or do we obey what the angel of the Lord has told us and go and tell everybody this new life and do it right back in the same place as where we've already been arrested twice? So back they go. At daybreak the next day, there they are, right back in the temple courts, Solomon's colonnade, same place. By the way, I think this is an, it's important why they are in this area of the temple, and it's because it's kind of the part of the outermost courts of the temple. They don't need to be in the Holy of Holies anymore because the tr- curtain has been torn. We now have access wherever we are to the very presence of God. 
because of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. So they don't need to be there, but they do still want to be in the temple because that's where you go to praise God and to share about who he is and what he's doing with other people. And so they've come uh, to the temple. They don't need to go all the way in, but why do they stay where they are? Because this message about Jesus is not just a message for certain people. It's for everybody. And so they are in the part of the temple where everybody can be. And so you see men and women. And uh, it's, yeah, proclaiming the good news. But they're still at the temple, the very place where they've been arrested twice, doing the very same thing that got them arrested twice. And they don't wait around to do it. But daybreak the next day, there they are. So they get arrested. Well, wait, they don't get arrested yet. First, this is one of the favorite parts. The leaders end up having their own Easter morning moment. Did you notice that? They send to the prison. Go open the prison and get out (laughs) the guys who are in there. And the captain goes down and he says... Yeah, we, um, everything was still locked. The guards were still there. We opened it up, empty. And they're left wondering, what has happened? Where could they have gone? What could have happened? The same kind of questions that Peter and John and Mary Magdalene were having on Easter morning when they get to the tomb, and they completely expected there was going to be someone inside, and he wasn't. And they had to wonder, what does this mean? And so here are these leaders now having... A similar moment. What does this mean? They were there. They were locked. There's nowhere they could have gone. The guards are still there. The door is still locked. But they're gone. Yes, sir. And just as they are wondering what is going to happen, somebody says, look, the people that you arrested for preaching about Jesus right over there, guess where they are? They're right over there. And guess what they're doing? They're preaching about Jesus. Still going. So they go and they arrest him again. And they bring him in. And they say, you have been warned. You have been warned and you have been arrested. And we're not, we're not messing around. This is something we take very seriously. And one of the reasons why, it says in verse 28, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. They think that this is a power play. That's how they see this. You're trying to make everybody think bad about us, so they'll follow you. But if you listen to the response, it's not what's going on. They're blind. They don't see it. And what's happening is... Peter and the other apostles are saying, oh yeah, we're, we're pointing out, you killed Jesus. Yes, we're doing that. And in fact, you'll see that repeated in every, uh, every time they're talking about Jesus. It's always this, and you killed him, by the way. Um, so here's what he says. We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. This is not a power play. This is not trying to get everybody to think bad about the other leaders. You hear what it is? Peter and the other apostles are saying, 
you missed it. But everybody missed it. When you hung him on the cross, it's because you were looking at Jesus from a worldly point of view. This is what Paul talks about later in 2 Corinthians. He says, from now on, we don't look at anyone from a worldly point of view. We made that mistake with Jesus. And that's what the apostles are saying is, you missed it. You looked at Jesus from a worldly point of view, and you thought that he was something he wasn't. But God has shown us who he really is. He raised him from the dead. He exalted him to his own right hand. And now we've seen this, and we are witnesses of this, and so we are sharing this with you to let you know that though you missed it, it's not too late. We're sharing this so that you can see it and so that you can come to repentance and receive forgiveness of your sins. You hear the difference? I hope so. They didn't hear the difference. Because their response, it says, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. They still saw this as nothing more than a power play. We want to be in control. The disciples are making us look bad in front of other people. We've got to stop that. So they're going to put them to death. They've been warned. They've been warned again. They have now said, no matter how much you warn us, we're going to continue doing the same thing. Well, then you must be killed. And at this point, we have a Pharisee named Gamaliel. Actually, a pretty famous Pharisee. Just says, even here, he was a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stands up and speaks. He's the same man, by the way, who's actually... Paul, the Apostle Paul, this guy was his teacher. Tells us that later. This guy stands up, not as the chief priest, the high priest, but he's that guy. He's that guy that when there's a lot of controversy going on, and he hasn't said anything yet, and everybody's all fuming and foaming, and, and he stands up, puts up a hand, and everybody goes, hang on. Let's hear what he has to say. That's what happens here. He stands up. Everybody gets quiet. Let's hear what he has to say. They put the apostles out, and then he says, look, we've seen this before. Somebody rises up, people come to them, and then once the leader is killed, everybody goes away. We've seen it time and again, and let me tell you, it's going to be the same thing in this case. Unless maybe it's from God. And if it is from God, well, then we will be wasting our time by trying to stamp this out. And what's really interesting is apart from the resurrection of Jesus, it looks like it would have been the same thing. Because when Jesus was killed, his disciples had been following him the same way that people had followed other, uh, other leaders, other rebels. When he's killed, the same thing happens. They're all dispersed. They all scatter. And it looks like it's all over. But once he's raised from the dead, that quits happening. And instead of being scattered and dispersed, in hopelessness, what we're going to start seeing is how they become scattered and dispersed in order to share the good news that he is alive. And in fact, the movement continues to grow and to spread and still going. 
It does say that his speech persuaded them. But only kind of. They decided not to have them killed. You know, just a little flogging. A beating so bad there were limits on it so that they didn't accidentally kill somebody while they were doing it. Then, after having them flogged, they warned them again. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go. And here we have the apostles then leaving the Sanhedrin who could very easily have said, you know what? We healed a guy and we got arrested. We preached about Jesus. We got thrown into prison. And an angel brings us out and tells us to go back and do it again. So we go back and we do it again. And what does it get us this time? It gets us beat within an inch of our lives. Maybe we should just stop. That's not how they go away. They know what this is about. They know what they've seen. And they know what's really going on. And so it says they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Rejoicing because they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And did they stop? Day after day. In the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. This is what Jesus said at the beginning of the book of Acts. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what we're seeing right now is that these apostles are being those witnesses in Jerusalem. And they're not going to stop. No matter what comes at them, they're not going to stop. And they are going to continue doing what the, um, the angel told them. Tell everybody about this new life. This is what they have seen. It's what they've experienced. It's what they're going to share. And then what is this good news that they are sharing? It's that Jesus is the Messiah. This is not some new thing. That this is this one that was crucified and has been raised again is this very one that God had promised generations and generations and centuries and centuries beforehand. That he is the fulfillment of all those promises. And that he is the one in whom all of our hope and salvation lies. This is the good news that they continue to share. That this Jesus, who is the Messiah, was killed, but he didn't stay dead. This Jesus is the one that then gives them the Holy Spirit who testifies with their spirit that he is not only alive, but he is the Lord, he is the Messiah, and he is the one who is empowering the church to never stop, to keep on going, and that no matter how much it gets beat and imprisoned, and torn down, and tried to be shut up. It just keeps on going, because Gamaliel was right in one thing. (laughs) If this is from God, you can't stop it. If this is from God, you cannot stop it. And we have now seen the last 2,000 years, in one way or another, through legal action, through physical force, you name it. All kinds of creative ways that people have tried to stop this message, and yet it's still going out. Why? 
because it is from God. And because once you know it's true, you cannot keep it in. You cannot stop because of fear. But you learn what it means to actually even love your enemies and even proclaim the good news to people who don't want to hear it. The apostles tried to convert the Sanhedrin. They got them beat up. Even though people weren't converted, they still rejoiced because they know that God's ways will go forward no matter what. So, where does that leave us? As those who have been told to be witnesses, witnesses of Jesus, telling the world, whether they want to hear it or not, (laughs) the good news about Jesus, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Lord, that he is raised from the dead. And then, we don't worry about what that result might be. It might be that people come in droves, as we saw happening at the beginning of this section. Or it might be that we get beat up. Or worse, as we'll see in weeks to come. But our job is not to control the response. Our job is to deliver the message. Are we doing it? I hope so. We can't lose. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.